Hello, and welcome to Move the Line. I'm Ryan Noonan, joined here by my friends, Connor Allen and Sharp Clark. Connor, how are we doing today? Great. Uh, you were talking about how we get to go watch some uh, you know, football after this. I got roped into going to some zoo lights, so I'm going to be watching this game uh, you know, on delay a little bit later. So, yeah, have fun Sorry. with that, guys. Enjoy. Zoo lights? But- yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's something in Lincoln Park in Chicago. I don't know. I I got roped into this like a month ago and didn't realize it was on a Thursday and said yes. And now uh, here we are. Sounds like a, a version of hell. Um, <laughs> combining the zoo and it's, and, and it's like my up. with my wife and all of her work friends too. I mean, just like the nut low. I mean, like the absolute nut low. You couldn't have done that last week when we had we've had some like pretty bad Thursday night football of late. Like tonight, we actually have. A couple of, I would think, contenders, but I guess we'll get to that here in, in a minute here. Uh, joining us, filling in for John Daigle this week, is our friend uh, backing sides of total, taking on the sharpest market out there. It's Sharp Clark. Clark, how are you doing? here. Excited to chat some NFL games, not just tonight, but but Sunday's games as well. Clark is uh, inside the house. You hung out with us. So we had some Clark episodes in the preseason. We had a little bit of uh, nature experiencing in you know the Denver area out there. Uh, but I think we have no birds, no wildlife uh, that I can think of, unless maybe our guest wants to bring us a little bit out there from uh, from California. If you are uh, not familiar, uh, he is an NFL staff writer for The Ringer. You can also hear him often on The Ringer's Gambling Show on Spotify. Also, if you love dipping your toes into the college prospects water, there is no better follow on Twitter than our guest, Austin Gale. Austin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, I was telling the guys actually before we even came on a couple of years ago, I was, uh, you know, instead of no offense to the network studio guys taking in the draft, Connor and I loved, it's probably our favorite, I think, betting events. And I'm sure you probably dabble as well. Yeah. Betting on the draft is the best. So instead of watching and taking in that stuff, I'm watching PFF and watching the live stuff that you guys have going on. And I'm like, Holy shit, this son of a bitch is plugged in. And I was an instant Austin Gale fan. So I'm excited to have you on today. Cause uh, yeah, your draft stuff and your prospect stuff is, is top notch. And, I've enjoyed having you listen to you every week on the uh, the Ringer show. So uh, we're going to jump into Thursday Night Football at the top. Again, we're going to remind you we'll be live here every Thursday night, 645 Eastern, leading you into Thursday Night Football. We're going to discuss our favorite games on the board, take your questions. So if you're hanging out with us in the chat on YouTube, subscribe so you don't miss a show. Smash that like button. It goes a long way and helps us quite a bit. Uh, let us know what your favorite Week 8 bet is as well, side or total, and we'll get to those questions if we have time. Weekend slate of games. Uh, before we do, I want to remind folks we have two episodes of Move the Line each week, both available to stream here on YouTube and then podcast form wherever you consume podcasts as well. In addition to the game preview on Thursday nights, Move the Line prop drop is live 2 p.m. Eastern on Fridays. Pat Mayo joins Connor and myself uh, looking at our favorite props of the week. We've been crushing as of late too, so I don't want to jinx that, but uh, you know, we're going to have to find out. Again, Pat's been going to these quarterback rushing unders uh, we're going to have to mix some stuff up here this week. But uh, if you're listening via the podcast feed, stop by the YouTube channel. Uh, you can get our thoughts on the Thursday night football game before it kicks off. If you're not hearing that in the podcast form. We don't want to embarrass ourselves with bad Thursday night takes for you on Friday morning. But uh, we appreciate the support on YouTube as well. Also want to let you know that we have a Halloween sale, which is good through Monday, through Halloween. 75% off of any 4 for 4 sub. And that subscription is good through February of 2023. 59 bucks for a betting sub gets you access to literally everything on four for four, every tool, article, rankings, bets, discords, channel, all of it uh, through the end of February, just 59 bucks. You can head, you can find it on social, lots of different places. Uh, again, good through Halloween. So definitely want to check that out. There are cheaper ways too. If you want to get in just classic, you're uh, listening to this, but you're a, uh, you know, still grinding your season long league for some reason, like nine bucks for a classic sub or something like that, but you can't beat the 59 bucks for everything on the site. Again, we're running, you have NBA, MMA, we'll have college hoops soon. Um, lots of different stuff. So check that out. And you don't need to promote to the people buying $9 subscriptions. You know, we get you in <laughs> 59 bucks. Is, it gets you everything. So just, we're going to cater to everyone. No unit size shaming, Connor. Yeah, right. Very friendly. First game, Washington. On the road in Indy, Indy is a three-point favorite, 39 and a half is the total. You can see it on the marquee now. We have uh, Taylor Heineke and Sam Ellinger. It's just an uh, absolute great way to, to sell a game. Um, I will say that the variance that I think these two quarterbacks bring is a hell of a lot better than if it was like a Carson Wentz-Matt Ryan battle. Indy's D, first an explosive pass rate allowed. 
Um, Washington refuses to throw explosive passes, which is very interesting. Although I will say Tyler Heineke does think uh, that he is that dude. So maybe we see a little bit of an interesting mix there. Indy offense continues to struggle, is not able to really run the ball. Washington does a great job slowing the run. Kind of an interesting game. We'd love to get your thoughts here, Austin, on this uh, washington Indy matchup. Yeah, it's uh, it's an ugly one, right? It's going to be between two quarterbacks that I think I think with Ellinger, uh, Ben Solak wrote a cool piece on the ringer.com talking about how the mobility could like I think mitigate is is too much. I don't think it's going to mitigate the offensive line concerns for the uh, uh, offensive line concerns with Indianapolis Colts, but it just like avoiding sacks is important. And Matt Ryan was a statue back there. I think he was the lowest ranked quarterback in EPA per dropback when pressured, and he was behind an offensive line that was allowing pressure at like a reckless amount. It, it forced the offense to call different plays. They, they had to get the ball out faster. They were more reliant on things underneath. And when the offensive line is bad in pass protection, oftentimes there's correlations being bad as run blocking. And whether it's Jonathan Taylor or even the other backs that have had, Deion Jackson, Naeem Hines, they have not been able to get yards before first contact. They've been hit at behind the line of scrimmage. The highest rate of any backfield in the NFL, that's hard to do. It's hard to create offense around that. So bringing in someone that offers – this mobility flair, this mobility attribute, I think does mitigate some things. I still like have worries. So it's Ellinger's first star. It's going against a defense that does have talent. I think they did some creative things in this game last week against Green Bay Packers. Like, I, I feel like this Washington Commanders team on the road as a three-point dog is not crazy. But like, if you could have got this at two and a half and saw Washington as a teaser leg like, on the road, especially with the total as low as it is, that's probably where the value was. In betting Washington and through the key number seven on a six point teaser leg, but at plus three, I'm probably still betting that the, the cold side is not the better side here. You have push probability with three if you are betting, if you are backing a side in this game, and I think betting this late in the week, oftentimes you're seeing the value squeezed out. But if you are betting this late, it, it, it's hard to bet Sam Ellinger in this spot at home as a three point favorite with how badly they've run the football. Offensive line concerns aren't going away. Yes, the mobility is better, but they're not going away. And this receiving core. Is, is really interesting in that it's it's predicated on getting the ball out quickly with Matt Ryan, but now with these longer developing plays, I don't know how much better they are. Right? It's not a it's not an ex- explicitly fast receiving core. They're big. Michael Pittman Jr. is big. Alec Pierce is big, and I think he had you know fast forty time in, on the vertical route tree. But still, I, I don't know. I worry about this Colts offense being able to put up points. I think that's why it's one of the lowest totals on the slate at thirty nine and a half, depending on where you get it. I'm probably back in the commanders in this spot, probably not looking at the total. If I'm betting the total, probably going under. And when I'm looking at total this low, I'm I'm usually looking at first half unders and, and looking at maybe looking at the first half, getting under maybe a 20 mark or a 21 and a half. And that's probably where the value is in this game. Yeah, it's a good call. Uh, Clark, what do you got on this one? I, I have my issues with the other side of the ball in terms of Washington's offense. Um, I was not impressed with them against Green Bay. I mean, Taylor Heineke plays like he's drunk, you know, like the, the type of drunk where you're overconfident and think you can do anything, like anything can happen on any given play. And uh, they insist on running the ball and their run game is so boring. It's like, it's something you pick up on when you watch every snap. It's like, man, they're just running the same run plays over and over again. And in, in Indianapolis Colts have a good run defense when they play against that type of boring vanilla run game. So I think we're going to see a lot of third and longs for Washington. And I think third and longs are going to kind of feed into Heineke's uh, tendencies to be a bit more overly aggressive. And I think we're going to see some major mistakes. And so Sam Ellinger may not even have to do much in order for the Colts to cover that three. Um, so I, I just see a lot of a lot of uncertainty and variance on both sides. And, and I think the spread will ultimately come down to, you know, a couple of really huge high leverage plays. And, and that makes it tough to to stake out a really strong confidence side. Connor, I know we're probably hoping for a Sam Ellinger rushing prop. Um, could be an interesting one. Interested to see what the books hang that at. But what are your thoughts on uh, on this matchup? Where I kind of agree with Austin, where I, I do think the under, leaning under, is is definitely in play. And again, theoretically, if long teasers still hit, the two and a half would have been great. Uh, those don't apparently uh, hit this year at all. But uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Again, pick sixes are in play, which would definitely like just absolutely kill an underplay. It would be a very, very tilting way to, to die here. But I think it's probably the right lean. Well, for the reasons that they mentioned, I, I like the under. But beyond that, too, I think that the Colts going to Sam Ellinger will probably revert them back to being a run-heavy offense. And as you mentioned, that it is a tough matchup. So like, they're probably not going to drop back 60 times like we saw with Matt Ryan a few weeks ago against the Jaguars. If they're going back to that run-heavy offense, kind of running into the buzzsaw that's you know Washington's I mean, pretty strong run defense. They're also, while their secondary is bad and a lot of their metrics in the secondary are not good, they get a lot of pressure. And I think that that could cause some chaos, as you guys mentioned. And so for me, like, it's probably like 
Ellinger rushing prop overs and then like the under on the game though. Like I just don't think that they're gonna, either team is going to have sustained success here against one another. Um, and so, yeah, if it's, if you can get a two and a half, I think Clark has been looking, trying to grab that two and a half. I think that's fine. Uh, but you know, for me, I'd prefer just to play the under because I think we're looking at more of like, you know, like a 17, 14 type of game, you know, either way. Uh, and I think that that's probably my lean for this one. Yeah. Where are we at in the team total markets? Uh, Washington's 18 and a half, some 17 and a half out there, uh, which I think are interesting. And then on the Colts side, you're just a little bit above that. So uh, yeah, 20 and a half. Um, I think, I think the first half look is actually probably a pretty good look, right? Just th- thinking about how your quarterback in his first real game, just finding his footing a little bit, not expecting that the other team is going to race away from them too. So again, if you can get it on the right side of some key numbers in the first half, you know, like Austin said, 20, 21, I'd probably be, probably be the best look for me at this point. I think a lot of books right now have it at 19 and a half with juice towards the under, like minus 135. And I don't know, I don't know if I'm betting under my 19 and a half first half at minus 135, yeah, but if you can doing. find it at 20, if you can find it at 20, you can find it at 20 and a half, depending on the book. I think that's far. I think, I think Washington has gotten so overlooked because they're just such a hard team to watch. I, I, but the defense has been good this year. I think seventh in pressure rate on the year. I think they're number two in success rate behind the de- behind the Denver Broncos. Like this is going to be a tough defense for an Indianapolis Colts offensive line that has struggled all year. Two pass protect against and you know first start in a long time for Sam Ellinger, who's going to be playing behind that offensive line. So I don't know. It, it's hard to back. It's going to be a, a game of chaos because both I think both quarterbacks are going to be playing like they're trunk to quote sharp, and I think that's going to lead to some pick sixes and where this key number three honestly could go either way. I actually don't think it's going to be an awful game to watch because I do think the chaos of drunk Tyler Heineke and, you know, the one look, one read and run Sam Ellinger thing is going to be a little bit interesting. So it's uh, not not a corner TV game. I think we'll give it though one of the big screens. Uh, all right, next, Miami on the road in Detroit. Detroit is getting three and a half at home. This is a healthy 51 and a half point total. I think the final score in last week's Cowboys-Lions game uh, 24 to six, it reads like a blowout, but it really, really wasn't. Uh, there was a, a sequence in the fourth quarter. It was about 13 minutes to go in the fourth. Lions had the ball on Dallas is, I think like 18, just inside the twenties, like second and five, they ran a tight end screen. And after nearly getting the golf before he got rid of it, Micah Parsons made what I think will be probably one of the plays of the year. And like, no one will really see it. It's not going to make highlight reels per se. Cause it just wasn't like at the time it wasn't really anything, but he tracked down Brock Wright at the one yard line. I mean, it was an insane play. You got to find it. I'll, I'll try to retweet it somewhere because I know someone has it's somewhere out there. Um, forced him out at the one. In the next play, Demarcus Lawrence makes almost nearly as good of a play, split a double team, ran through TJ Hawkinson, who was lined up as the fullback, blew up Jamal Williams, forced a fumble, and that was it. It was about to be 13 to 10 in the fourth, uh, but two athletic freaks made special plays for Dallas. And we're still waiting for the roar to be restored in Detroit. Um, that might be more of like a Cowboys thing and about them being awesome. But again, Lions team showed up without DeAndre Swift, without Onra St. Brown, who went down with like a concussion in the first possession. Both those guys should be back this week. Problem is, is they don't play defense, Austin. And this <laughs> Detroit defense is a problem. What are your thoughts on this matchup? I, I think we're also kind of riding this high that you know, the Detroit Lions have scored a lot of points. And I think it's since week four, Jared Goff is bottom 10 in EPA for dropback. He might even be bottom five. Like he has really struggled. And you could say it's the injuries to the receivers and and, and even some injuries along the offensive line. I, I honestly think it's, we saw three games of Jared Goff and teams are catching up. And you saw what Bill Belichick did to Jared Goff. And like, he is specifically struggling as the quarterback of this offense and really showing why they still don't have the quarterback of the future under center. Where And I think the injury to DeAndre Swift has not helped. I think that the injury to Amon Ross St. Bras specifically has not helped and getting those guys back is important. Jared Goff is still the Achilles heel of this offense and defenses are catching up to that. Miami's defense is also a very hard defense for Jared Goff to win it because you have to you have to throw into tight windows consistently. You have to throw with accuracy and that's never been what Jared Goff is you know, specifically good at. Going against this Miami Dolphins defense, I think it gets overrated at times. I think Josh Boyer gets overrated a bit because he blitzes a lot and runs man coverage and plays a very aggressive brand and they're a team that beat the Buffalo Bills. If you go back and watch that game, Yes, they made them matriculate down the football field. I think that stat of them running 90 offensive plays has been said a thousand times this season. But still, you go back and watch that game, and they're able to get chunk plays. Not chunk plays. They're able to get positive plays against this defense. Because I think that that overaggression offenses are good at protecting or going against that when you have a good quarterback. I don't think Jared Goff is that. I think that aggression is going to hurt them. 
and force him to make decisions, force him to rush process, and ultimately force inaccuracy. Three and a half, you know, I, I think it's I think that that is oftentimes a book trying to get the square to bet on restoring the roar here and getting under the key number three. I don't know how much value there is in betting the Dolphins at minus three and a half as a road favorite, probably staying away from the spread here. And even if you look at the first half spread, you can get the Dolphins at minus two and a half, minus 120 in some spots, minus 125. That's probably juiced out of value as well. I'm probably looking at the props market here because I think Tua is getting a little bit faded because he hasn't played as much. I think looking at some Tua overpassing touchdowns props and sticking to maybe an over first half total if you're looking at the total too. Nice. Uh, Going to be a lot of plays here, Clark, because this is basically what Detroit invites is a high level of plays. I believe that they lead the league. Most plays in games are typically Lions games, especially at home. They have been absolute just boat races, no matter who the opponent is. I don't think Miami is going to be any different. What are your thoughts in this matchup? Well, when you have Jared Goff, you, you don't want to give him too much time, you know, between the time you can hear the play and the snap because he gets confused. But uh, I, I guess I'm one of those suckers that Austin's talking about because I actually think the Lions offense is good when they have DeAndre Swift and when they have Amon Ross St. Brown and when they have a healthy offensive line. I don't I don't really believe in Jared Goff, but he has proven throughout his career that if you give him time in the pocket and multiple options and a well-schemed offense, like he can throw accurately. That's all he really has to do. And so I think with the the Dolphins losing another piece in the secondary, this time for the season, I think that Dolphins secondary is exploitable. And I think at home, the Lions getting both those guys back. They say I'm going to St. Brown's in the concussion protocol, but they also say he didn't get a concussion. So I don't really understand what's going on there, but I'm assuming he plays. Um, and I think on the other side of the ball, like, when, when you have a defense like Detroit that everybody is just burning, you you have to kind of look at what kind of offense is going against it to see whether or not that offense is expected to outperform or underperform. And I think that Tua and the Dolphins are a great, exciting, explosive offense, but this is not a good matchup for them because his 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 style is built around basically beating the best defenses. It's built around pinpoint precision passes, you know, uh, throwing really quickly, making those really quick decisions, exploiting the speed all over the field. But he's not precise. He makes a lot of mistakes. People call him accurate, and I get why they say that, because he can place it well. But when he's not accurate, he's very, very inaccurate. He's throwing to defenders. He's throwing uncatchable balls. And I think that's the kind of thing that will stall a drive, even against a bad defense. So I think, you know, this is a spot where I think the Lions are are live, but I I prefer just the angle that there's going to be a ton of points in this game. So We do know that even though the teams that play the most man still play almost as much, if not more, zone, right? So while Detroit does lean man heavy, um, it is interesting. He'll still see a lot of zone snaps. And we have seen some pretty significant splits in a short sample size of two of success, first man versus zone. He definitely – um, doesn't do quite as well against man coverage. Again, he has man beaters right on the outside with Waddle and Tyreek Connor. And I, I think we probably will be looking at a handful of things in the prom market as well. Um, I actually got down on Ray Mostert before he added to the limited practice report, which isn't great to see, but um, you know, that is the life of backing where he Mostert overs, but it uh, should be an interesting game. What are your thoughts here? Yeah. I mean, he's due for a season ending injury pretty soon, but uh, you got I, it I last think- year in Detroit week one. Yeah, I I think that uh, the based on kind of your analysis, the Amon Ra St. Brown uh, playing and being active, which he will be. Uh, it was they thought he got a concussion last week, and due to their new protocol, because of Tua, he couldn't play the rest of the game. But it was just some spasm. That's what they ruled. So he doesn't have a concussion. Did not have to go through the concussion protocol and was is fully fine. So that's at least to my understanding. That's what's wrong with them. Was limited today though, so I'm not was sure he? what that's you know if that was spasm related yeah. or not. Yeah, the but the was... report said he was in the concussion protocol, which was I... surprising because I'd heard what you heard, Connor. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, yeah, I, I think he's going to play. I mean, as long as we have clearance on him playing, I think he'll be an integral part of the offense here. Um, you know, kind of beating you know Miami's. Uh, Miami is, you know, like blitzing here. Like I could see a ton of quick throws to uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. The other side, though, I, I expect Miami to have, have a lot of success. I think you brought up some great points, Clark, but I just feel like when you're that bad, like Tyreek is going to be open like all the time. Uh, like no matter no matter the, the system, no matter like, you know, short, long, like Tyreek is going to be open all day unless they, you know, make some serious efforts to like, you know, and, and even then, like they move him around so well that like it's impossible to really like bracket him and like you know do things that uh, you know you've seen other teams like use on like top receivers. So I like you. I think you got down on an early over, like maybe even like 
a week ago on like over 48 or something like that. Uh, yeah, three and a half. Yeah, that's a great look. It's at 51 and a half now. Even at 51, I, I still lean over. I think maybe team totals might be the way to play it, but I, I still think that the over here is a decent look. I don't think it can be underrated how bad the Detroit Lions defense is, too. I mean, it's 30th in forcing opponent three and outs. It's I think it's 31st in success rate, 30th in drives that end in either a first 10 or a touchdown. Like, they are they are giving up points in droves, whereas Miami, as you know, I think overrated Josh Boyer maybe because he's doing, like, an aggressive style defense, I still think is an objectively better defense that will have, will have answers for what Jared Goff and what is objectively a limited offense that's you know, you've seen how much it's fallen off with just a couple of injuries. You know, Monroe St. Brown, DeAndre Swift. I think it's very um, saturated in terms of how it gets production and how it moves the ball down the field. I, 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 I think the line at three and a half, I, I lean Miami probably full game. I probably don't bet the game full game at this late, but I, I think that's probably the lean for me. Makes a lot of sense. I'm looking for some uh, Deshaun Elliott tackle overs here. This will be a high volume game and uh, kids got a nose for the football. Continue to bang the drum on, uh, on Deshaun Elliott. Um, all right, next, Arizona at Minnesota. Minnesota, three-and-a-half-point favorites at home coming off the bye, 49 is the total. Uh, I think if you like the Cardinals here, you just wait and you bet it live, either after the first quarter or the first half, because we have a mountain of evidence that Kyler and Cliff, just they do not like to get off to a good start. The defensive touchdowns helped last week, so it skews things a little bit, but um, you know maybe that's the recipe against Kirk in the face of pressure. But uh, Minnesota's been the opposite. They've come out and had a really strong first half. Uh, whether that's the scheme of Kevin O'Connell or whatnot, but uh, very different things here. But uh, Austin, kick us off. What are your thoughts on this one? One of the worst first half teams in the NFL, right? I think their point differential to start the year was, you know, 32nd. I think it continues to be in that bottom three, even over recent weeks. I, I, they are my favorite wait to bet the second half team or even wait to bet in the second quarter team. I think at three and a half, there's another line where you have books intentionally creating a hook around a key number to fit some of this public money on the Cardinals. I think you wait. If you like the Cardinals, just wait a little bit. Wait for Cliff to just completely blow his opening game script and then to be down 10. And if you like Arizona to kind of come back and sneak into the back door, that's, that's, that's the side. I think that's the side. I think playing the Cardinals after the first quarter has happened or after the second quarter has happened is cool. It's probably my favorite favorite time time to do that during the getting the Cardinals this year. Now DeAndre Hopkins changes things, and I think how they used him specifically last week was was awesome, right? They like normally Cliff Kingsbury has used him specifically at left wide receiver. I think the the only receiver that has more isolated snaps at one position beyond DeAndre Hopkins over the last few years is Christian Kirk. That's who he played for last year. It's Arizona Cardinals because he's playing on the other side. So like. What he did with DeAndre Hopkins in his first game back to move him left, right, slot, that shows growth, growth that we've been like banging the table for for Cliff Kingsbury to figure out. I think that's limited Rondell Moore's opportunities. He's really struggled to create separation specifically on the outside. I thought you thought I thought he was going to flood more of the slot. Greg Dorch is flooding more of the slot and now seeing more targets. So if you're playing receiving prop overs, Hopkins is going to be juiced to hell, and I don't know how much value there's going to be on Sunday, but. Dorch is a guy I like, depending on where that number comes out. Him playing the slot more and how much they target the slot more than the opposite of where DeAndre Hopkins is. I think Dorch is a name to look at. And then wait to bet the side, wait for the Cardinals to go down 10. Maybe let's see what the live bet looks like. We were joking last week, too, that we were expecting maybe what they had done to him last year is they turned poor DeAndre Hopkins into boundary Jamison Crowder. And then yes. last week they like <laughs> did something completely different. It was, it was incredible to see. You can actually even see Cliff in the presser this week where it's almost like he – Felt like he had like a different pep in his step. He felt good about it. Like, hey, you guys have been talking about this and look what happened and we want to utilize it differently. And it seemed to work, Clark. What are your thoughts on this one? I, I think that a lot of people don't believe in the Vikings and I think that's totally valid. Uh, their their record is a little fraudulent. They've had a lot of, you know, wins that, that are kind of questionable against teams that aren't at their best. But I think not enough people are talking about how the Cardinals are also uh, not necessarily that good. Like last week they had what looked like an offensive explosion you know, two pick sixes will help will help your bottom line. Uh, but the Saints were already down two cornerbacks, and then they lost Bradley Roby in game, the third cornerback, and so they basically had no defenders. Um, and I, and I think you know the Cardinals they kind of piece it together sometimes. They've got kind of a scrappy style, which is great. But one thing I worry about with the Vikings offense, if you're if you're betting on the Cardinals, is you know, people pointed out, well, Kirk Cousins has struggled against the Blitz this year, but he hasn't historically struggled against the Blitz. And so they think there's something different about this offense that's not combating the Blitz. I don't think that's the issue at all. I think it's more to do with the coincidental fact that when they've played teams that Blitz, those teams have had one really good stud cornerback, like the like the Philadelphia Eagles. And so that takes away Kirk Cousins' safety blanket, which is Justin Jefferson. 
basically Kirk Cousins plays well when Justin Jefferson plays well. He like that's just his entire offense. And I don't know who on the Cardinals defense is going to stop Justin Jefferson. So I'd be a little bit concerned about putting my money on the Cardinals, knowing that this might be one of those games where the Vikings just kind of matriculate down the field and get some explosive plays. And and I don't know if the Cardinals have the firepower to to kind of uh, you know keep up. What's shocking is that there isn't really that dude right by by name on paper, right? Byron Murphy, I guess, but he's not even really that guy. Arizona's first in past DDVOA against wide receiver ones in the season. And again, I know that that's well, not. And they'll be all statistic. And oh, I know I'm just, yeah, but still, I mean, and again, Chris Olave had a nice week against them last week, um, who I think would, you know, profile there. But uh, Connor, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think, I mean, Clark brought up a big thing there with like Kirk versus the blitz because, so they're blitzing at a slightly higher rate than Miami who it didn't necessarily like, like Kirk played fine. You know, I thought that I was expecting him to still perform well against the beat on Miami secondary, but uh, you know, I, there were times early in the game where he was not quite at his best, but I think the key difference there is that Miami plays a lot of man. They blitz and play a lot of man, whereas Arizona blitzes and plays a lot of zone. Uh, and so I think that that's a, you know, a pretty big, uh, differentiator there. And I think that that could still give Minnesota plenty of success. My initial lean was Minnesota dug in more. Now I'm kind of a stay away here. Um, Arizona's run defense has actually played, you know, decently well too, uh, which, you know, I guess it just gives them like less to lean on there too. So for me, it's just to stay away. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not really betting this game. We also have the stoppable force versus the very movable object here. The Cardinals offense is bottom five in the red zone this season, but the Vikings defense is dead last in the red zone, according to football outsiders DVOA too. So again, I think this kind of goes to Clark's point where there are a lot of concerns about the Vikings really outside of their win loss record. The division's obviously there for the taking. We hopefully they, we see a little bit more, dominant performances out of them to feel encouraged moving forward. But uh, I just, I definitely think that if you have a lean on this game and you haven't got down on it already, you just wait, see how the first half, see how the first quarter plays out again. It's a small sample, but I feel pretty confident in what we've seen here, especially on the Cardinal side to know, look, they just haven't got off to a good start. It's we, only thing that's been consistent is at some point there's a yelling match on the sideline between Kyler and cliff. And then we see what happens from there. So hold off. Wait and fire on that one live. All right, uh, next, New England on the road against the Jets. Uh, New England is a two-and-a-half-point favorite here. 40-and-a-half is the total pretty much across the board. Tough week seven for both clubs. Obviously, we saw the public curb stopping by the Bears against the Patriots on Monday night and all the quarterback drama behind it. Jets at least got a win last week, but they lost Brees Hall, Elijah Vera Tucker along the way. Really tough for them. Unfortunately, they also still have Zach Wilson at quarterback. Austin, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Dare I say game of the week, boys? I I, I think this game is going to be incredible. Uh, Mac Jones is supposedly going to start. We don't know how long that start will last. We don't know how long that leash is. My my take is is that I don't think Bill check Belichick does it again. That was a very rare, unforced coaching error from Belichick against Eberflus on on in a primetime spot at home. Gillette Stadium, like that that was absurd. That that might be one of the worst coaching performances we've seen from Bill Belichick in a long, long time in terms of the swap for Jones to tell the reporter at halftime that Mac's probably going to play. You don't even know what he was probably telling Mac Jones to keep Bailey Zappi in. And then they just get completely outclassed by a Bears team that admittedly did have extra time to prepare for that game. But still like that, in my opinion, was hard to watch. I, I think Belichick, we used to tweet five years ago. We used to tweet right after Belichick loses. We're like, man, no one wants to see this guy's next opponent. How come we're not tweeting that anymore? I, I feel like we're, we should be. It's like Belichick still that <laughs> Belichick still has that dog in him. You know, I think he's coming after this Jets team after getting absolutely pants, bloused on primetime television against one of the worst quarterbacks, one of the worst offenses in the league. He eyes a Jets team without Brees Hall, without Elijah Vera Tucker, and a quarterback in Zach Wilson that I know has a lot of wins under his belt. 31st in EPA per dropback has really struggled specifically when pressured this year. Like, I, I worry about Zach Wilson in this game because I think Bill Belichick is going to come and show his teeth here. And regardless of who starts for the, you know, the, the New England Patriots, I, I do think that the offense of the New York Jets is going to struggle to put up points without Brees Hall, with Elijah Vera Tucker, with how Belichick is going to sink his teeth in to Zach Wilson and what this offense is going to have to find new ways to create explosive plays. You know, Zach Wilson really struggled to create explosive plays down the football field. Brees Hall was an outlier in that he was able to create explosive plays from this offense on the ground, which is normally very hard to do. People will say the running backs don't matter movement. It's like, oh, you go from Brees Hall to Michael Carter. What's the difference? I think Brees Hall had 15 runs of 10-plus yards. Michael Carter this year has three. That's the difference, right? Like, Michael Carter isn't that big play threat that Brees Hall was. That is going to change what this offense has to do. 
it's going to need Zach Wilson to convert third down, third down, third down. And I just don't bank on that happening in this game. Two and a half. I, I, I like the Patriots minus two and a half right now. On the road, Belichick after a loss in prime time. I think he I think he shows up here and now coaches uh, Robert Sala. Yeah, I don't think we're tweeting about it, but I feel like that's what the books are telling us with this line too, right? Like yeah. a three and four New England team on the road against a five and two Jets team, even though they have had the losses, I think there is some of that I feel is, is baked in. Matt Judon against that offensive line without Vera Tucker, I think is going to be a problem. And you mentioned the Bruce Hall stuff. It wasn't just on the run. Like he was doing it in the screen game as well, just a little dump offs and stuff like that. And I think that's going to be pretty impactful loss for them. Clark, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I agree. I, I hate being on the side that I feel like everybody's on, but yes. this is just such a <laughs> smash spot for the Patriots. The longer the game sticks on two and a half instead of moving to three, the more nervous I get because it's like, you know, <laughs> why aren't why aren't the books moving this to three? Why isn't the influential money on New England with me? Because it seems so obvious. You know, you've got Bill Belichick against, you know, he's always done so well on defense against these, you know, inexperienced quarterbacks that struggle with reading defenses. And I leaned into that, unfortunately, last week against Chicago um, without factoring in how well mobile quarterbacks do against Belichick's scheme. Zach Wilson is mobile in the sense that he can run around the pocket, but he's not mobile in the sense that he can create plays with his legs the way Justin Fields can. And he makes bad decisions. Like, have we seen anything this year to suggest that he's better than he was last year? To me, the answer is no. He, he's, he's just had better running game, better defense. And so... Last year, they got completely blown out by the Patriots twice. And I think this is the same offensive performance we're going to get this week from the Jets. Now, what the Patriots do on offense, who knows? You know, like I'm not running out to bet Patriots alt, you know, minus 13, although maybe that's a good bet. Um, I, I I do think that they can get it together, but it was a little bit, uh, you know, I, I've been skeptical on Mac Jones since the beginning of the year. And, and that that performance, even in just a couple drives, was kind of confirming that, you know, maybe we've seen the ceiling of Mac Jones. Uh, so it's tough to get overly excited, but I just think that the the other angle is so strong that that I, I think that the Patriots are going to win. Here's the crazy thing. I got New England minus one plus 100 before the Monday night game. And then the Patriots get blown out of the water on Monday night and the line has moved in the Patriots' favor. Like that's how, <laughs> that's how bad that initial line was. <laughs> Connor, what are your thoughts here too? The, the Zach Wilson stuff is like... 7% of his, I believe it's 7% of his um, pass attempts under pressure have gone for first downs this year. It's like by far the league's worst by like a significant margin. It's just, it's not, it's not great. Yeah, it's so bad. I mean, everyone drinking the, the Jets Kool-Aid, I just thought was insane this preseason. I was like, like, you know, at the end of the day, like there's still Zach Wilson, guy who's proven nothing to us. And now he's continued to also prove nothing. They also lost Corey Davis too, I think kind of matters. Elijah Moore. I mean, it's a little bit of a head case, it seems like, or just having issues with the team, getting zero targets. But, I mean, buddy, targets are earned. I don't know what else, what else to say. Like, you know, go out there, run some better routes. Be, I don't know, get to know your quarterback a little bit better. Like, I don't know. I mean, they're not run, They're not passing the ball that much either. I mean, because they have Brees Hall who was cranking out big games. They don't have any of that anymore. So, um, yeah, I, I lean with your guys' side here. And to your point about Bill Belichick, I mean, that was not only the worst quarterback management, I thought it was one of the worst defensive game plans I've ever seen is that, and I got worried about it leading up to the game time too. I'm like, okay, well, what if he just rushes forward and then tries to like spy him with like the most inathletic, like linebacking core ever. And like just gets destroyed. And they use that to exactly uh, like their detriment and like, you know, running those counter plays with the quarterback, like power runs. It was just a complete disaster and the biggest mismatch between Justin Fields and the New England defense. So uh, I again, they don't have that. Uh, so yeah, for me, it's New England minus two and a half. I think you get down minus six and a half, minus nine and a half. I mean, I think it's fine. A little sprinkle here and there. Uh, I mean, I was also on the alts for the Patriots last week, but uh, I, I I think it'll hit here. I, I think staying away if you if you don't want to bet the alts, right? And if you're kind of scared of this square public facing bet, I think betting under Jets team total, like if you, even if it, if you can get it at nineteen and a half. Like, like, bet it, like betting. I, I, if the Jets cover two and a half, or if the Jets say cover an alternate spread of six and a half, well, because they're scoring a shitload of points. Like, it'll definitely be them. You know, play, Robert. This defense has been really good, better than what the Giants have been putting out. As much praise as you know, Wink Martindale has gotten for blitzing a lot and running main coverage. Like, this Jets defense is objectively better than what the Giants have, and it's one of the better defenses in the league. I think low points. If you are backing it, you know, if you don't want to touch this, the spread, I think looking at the Jets under nineteen and a half is, is another way to like put put a bet down on this game. Yep, it's a great look. 19 and a half available across the board, too. And historically, the last couple of years, hammering the Jets 
under even 17 and a half has been a very, very profitable uh, venture out, outside of like the last four weeks or so, right. Where they've kind of popped a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's, that's definitely a good look. Cause I, I agree. Like you, is New England going to get to you to a spot where you're going to feel comfortable having that nine and a half or are they going to do their job along the way? A little tricky, but I think just kind of fading the Jets offense here in the spot is probably, probably the right play. All right, Niners on the road in LA. Uh, one and a half point favorites here, 42 and a half, 43 totals out there. The Rams won the one that mattered last year in the NFC Championship game. But otherwise, this rivalry has been fairly one sided of late. Uh, Niners have covered four straight on the road in LA. Shanahan, eight and three straight up and against the spread in the regular season against McVay. I've heard some folks talk about McVay having an edge here coming off of the bye, making some tweaks and adjustments to the offense. Unless they've added talent to the offensive line in particular, really, or anything on the offensive side outside of Cooper Cup, I just don't see what those tweaks are going to do. I'd love for someone to tell me. I know we might not have Debo here for the San Francisco side, which makes me a little bit nervous. But similar to Clark, like the longer this kind of hangs at San Francisco in this kind of dead zone, again, I, I don't know that it's going to climb to three as a road as a road favorite here, especially with some of the injuries that San Fran has had, especially in the secondary. But, man, I, I just don't see – aside for the Rams here, especially with the Joe Noteboom injury. Austin, talk to me about this one. I don't know. I, I do think that an underrated storyline is how much McVay and Shanahan hate each other. Like, I mean, you saw, I don't know if you saw some of the reporting about how Niners made a trade for McCaffrey because they felt like they got beat out on the Stafford stuff. I don't know how much that is speculative or like actual like behind the scenes reporting, but I know there's a lot of that kind of conversation. And McVay getting the buy edge here, and being at home in SoFi Stadium. I know it's a one-and-a-half-point dog. I think I like him on the money line at minus 100 or minus 105 or plus 100, wherever you can get it. I, I, I'd rather bet the Rams side here and bet that McVay with an extra week can figure it out, like actually figure it out with – so I went on this rant recently. I'm just like I'm tired of the excuses. Like Daniel Jones and the New York Giants are 6-1 and one with one of the worst offensive line receiving combinations in the league, not even like among winning teams. Like one of the worst receiving cores and offensive lines in the league. Justin Fields, is, Justin Fields is the only quarterback that's pressured more than Daniel Jones. And I don't even know if anyone, the average NFL fan could name the starting receivers for the New York Giants. That's how bad it's been. And what they've done, run more tight end stuff. And even last week, Daniel Bellinger, San Diego State legend, go Aztecs, gets hurt, but like blows his eye socket out. And they still find ways to make plays with the tight ends they have left on the roster. Like more condensed splits, heavy formations. They're running the football. Um, obviously, Saquon Barkley is a talent the Los Angeles Rams have. But still... The Giants aren't making excuses when they have a billion of them. If they're 0-7 right now, it's like, yeah, Daniel Jones stinks. The offensive line stinks and the receiving core is bad. They're 6-1. They're not making those excuses. For the Los Angeles Rams, you just won a Super Bowl. And I know Andrew Whitworth's not there. And I know maybe Allen Robinson isn't at the explosive guy that you thought he was in the preseason. But you still have Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, Allen Robinson, John McVay. Like, there are a lot of edges here to where creating the excuses that, like, oh, man, like, I don't know what we can do. It's just so hard without OBJ and Andrew Wilkins. It's like, shut up. Like you are a former Super Bowl winner. And there are teams in this league that are not making excuses that are winning a lot more football games than you are. One and a half points spread at home with an extra week of rest. This is a game that you should circle on your calendar as an opportunity to get back into the postseason hunt, get back into the deep postseason race. And that I think with this back against the wall mentality, I don't know. That's enough for like, that's enough like for me to look at this spot as like, if I'm betting a side, I'm looking at the Rams. I'm looking at the Rams and saying like, this is your shot. You know, you need to, you know, this is an offense that specifically struggled to create any explosives through the air down the football field. They can't run the football either, but I think throwing the football has been the bigger problem because that's how they won last year. You need to self-scout, look at what you can do with the players that you do have, stop making excuses for the players that aren't there, Von Miller, Andrew Woolworth, OBJ, and put together a common game plan with an extra week and beat up on the San Francisco 49ers team that, like, has – a really, really struggling quarterback in clutch. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo will throw the game away, as we saw. That was one of the worst red zone interceptions I've ever seen last week. And defensively, is so banged up. Like, this 49ers team is the most injured team in the NFL. I, I, I'd be really surprised, really surprised, if the Rams go into this week and look exactly as they have to start the season and just lay an egg here and lose by three, lose by seven at home. Yeah, if they do, they're not making the playoffs, right? I mean, like, yes. if they come out flat, like, you can get in the futures market and just, you know, just short them to make the playoffs. Clark, what do you think about this matchup? Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I got in a little bit of trouble after the last matchup because I, you know, I was talking about how obviously the 49ers are the right side before and after the game. Um, I think a lot is different in this game. And what's funny is the line is the same, right? It was, it was 49ers minus one and a half then it's 49ers minus one and a half now, but there are, there are several differences. One, obviously home field on a Monday night is a different environment than going on the road, you know, on a, on a Sunday. 
But Brian Allen's coming back, or probably coming back for the Rams, which with the state of their offensive line, Brian Allen's not like a superstar, but he's going to help. Um, they're, they're getting some reinforcements back in the secondary. The 49ers are going to be without Kyle Juszczyk, and he is a huge part of their offense. Like he doesn't put up a bunch of stats, but he's running so much of what they do is scheme based and their scheme with him and George Kittle and Debo Samuel particularly is so unique. Um, so, so I'm a little bit concerned about the packages of plays they're going to run without use check. And then there's a chance Debo Samuel doesn't play. And that's also massive. Um, so there's all of that in addition to McVay getting two weeks to prepare specifically for this game. Um, and the 49ers coming off a tough loss against the, the chiefs. Um, that it, it's like enough reason for me to say, okay, with all of these other factors going the other way, I think my typical matchup advantages that I like in this matchup for the 49ers are kind of like chipped away at to the point where this is a complete stay away from me. That's why I held off. Like I would really want to have Debo in here. Cause I'm like, oh, the Niners, that's, that's interesting. It was interesting in the look ads. They were getting one and a half. I was like, oh, that's, I should probably fire on that. And they waited and Probably shouldn't have. I feel much better having the plus points in my pocket now. But Connor, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I think too. I like initially when I looked at this spot, I was like, oh, they're going to try and get Christian McCaffrey going a little bit. I mean, the Rams right now, first and run to EPA, second explosive run rate allowed. I mean, without, you know, Debo, I, I don't know. It, it seems like something that maybe it's not, they're going to not like be able to have that much success on the ground, even though Christian McCaffrey looked awesome. They'll probably still use him a ton in the passing game. Uh, it's just not quite as clear of an edge to me as I thought initially. And so, yeah, like I was looking at it and then I was like, oh man, San Francisco's defense is banged up too. Because part of the issue with, I mean, the Rams is that, you know, they just get, they get pressured a ton because the offensive line has been brutal and then no one can get open besides Cooper Cup. So, I mean, you can't run an entire offense and they have no running game. I mean, Cam Akers is dust. They don't like Daryl Henderson. Uh, I mean, Kieran Williams is the talk of the town. If, if that's, you know, your guy, you know, your future guy, like I think something's really wrong with your running game and maybe he'll be fine, but I mean, He's not going to be some, you know, breakout star most likely. And so, yeah, like they just, they really didn't have many avenues to move their offense. So like, again, it's going to take a great coaching effort and hopefully the matchup is a little bit better this time with the injuries for San Fran. Uh, and if those things happen, I mean, the Rams can certainly win, uh, especially if, you know, on the other side of the ball, maybe Debo's banged up. San Fran does not get going with CMC there. Like, and you're putting a little bit more pressure on Jimmy. Uh, again, you know, we talked about this. You, you mentioned at the top here, Jimmy G is not a quarterback that can carry a team here. And that's that's why they wanted Lance. I mean, they wanted that potential upside of a guy who could carry a team. And I, I don't think that was going to happen. But now with Jimmy G, we know for certain that's not going to happen. I, I do think that it's not even just like carry a team. It's like elevate. You know, it's elevate mm -hmm. when you do have – it's when you have Debo Samuel hurt or when you when your defense is not is banged up. Can you – when when Sky Moore fumbles the football and gives you an opportunity inside the red zone, you don't throw a terrible, terrible interception that honestly you know, put that game in a completely different game script for, for the San Francisco. I don't know, man. Like, the, the, the Jimmy G stuff is crazy. The one th other thing I'll mention about this game is that there is a chance that Van Jefferson is back. And when I was doing some reporting on the Rams before the season, like there's so much love for Van Jefferson in that building. And I said the same thing about on Robinson. He's been trash this year, but still I have faith last week was a lot better, but like Van Jefferson is when you mentioned like other players outside of Cooper cup can't open, can't get open. I'm not saying Van Jefferson's an elite number two, or even like an elite number three, but like he is better than what they've been putting out. Like as, as much as people love Ben Skoranek and how they've used him, he's not a separator. Whereas Van Jefferson, if he's able to play this week, I know it's been a while that does add a wrinkle to all this. So I don't know. I, I, I like the Rams in this spot. And if you, you are betting the Rams at any point the rest of the season or favoring the Rams, this is the last spot to do it. Right. I think, I think after this, it's going to be tough for them to make the postseason if they lose this game. And never forget the added element that we talked about at the top. And Austin mentioned the coaching rivalry here. <laughs> the fact that Kyle Shanahan repeatedly claims Sean McVay on his taxes because he's his father is an added layer that adds to this a wrinkle of this game, which is always fun to watch. So last one, the bell of the ball of the week. We, we would not have said this uh, a couple of months ago. The only game this week, both teams have winning records, is with the New York Giants traveling to Seattle. Seattle laying three, 44 and a half to total. I would love to know the status of DK Metcalf here. I don't think we're going to have him. We don't have that info, obviously, as we record on Thursday night. What we do have is Geno Smith, uh, who has been like borderline dominant in the face of pressure this season. We know that's what New York wants to do. New York suffered some injuries as well last week. It wasn't just Elijah Vera Tucker going down. Evan Neal uh, going down for the Giants was impactful as well. We'd love to get your thoughts on this one, Austin. Yeah, I, I said game of the week kind of in chess with the with the Giants or, or with the Jets and the Patriots, but this will be a, a really, really 
a really, really fun game to watch. I think that both quarterbacks have drastically exceeded expectations. They, you know, over, I think since week four, Daniel Jones ranks fourth in EPA per dropback. I think Geno Smith on the season is like top six in EPA per dropback, and he's done it. I think we've talked about it a thousand times, but he's done it in, in ways where he's actually pushing the ball downfield and actually making – he's not being like wildly supported by this offense or it's not like leaning on a crutch of a lot of like low average depth of target throws and that type of stuff. It's very much like he's getting things down the football field. That Saints game is the best game – I know they lost, but like that Saints game, like, like that's the best game I've ever seen Geno Smith play. And like that – if he's able to do that, that is, a, that is an edge for the Seattle Seahawks team. Now, DK Metcalf getting hurt, I think, is an issue. But I like Marquise Goodwin, too. Like, Marquise Goodwin doesn't offer the same things as DK Metcalf. Obviously, DK Metcalf is one of one. But he's still a speedy you know, speedy receiver that got open you know, in, in this game last week for Seattle where they won. So I, I do think Marquise Goodwin, Tyler Lockett, this run game with Kenneth Walker, who, you know, K-Dub the third, is someone that, coming out of Michigan State, you just saw. Like, you just see that he's going to be a tackle breaker at the next level, going to be a fantasy football, you know, infatuation, right? I think those are the type of backs that a lot of fantasy – a lot of the fantasy football community like gravitate to because they break tackles because they gain yards over expectation offensive line has exceeded expectations with charles cross and a lucas on either end i i think the seattle seahawks team is rightfully favored by three at home seattle is a very tough place to play in this daniel jones led team this offensive line on the road is not going to have the edge right on the road you know warren sharp talks about it a ton playing on the road your offensive line does not have the edge in that the defensive line is not hearing the screaming and the yelling that helps them get out push out of you know push out of their breaks and actually you know create create havoc on the edge. I think you can see that for a Seattle defense that struggled to create pressure, but still I think could have a better edge here. I don't know. I, I probably don't lay Seattle at minus three. I think this is gonna be a really fun game to watch. It's probably stay away from just because the Giants are fourth quarter cardiac killers, man. Like they are minus sixteen in point differential through the first three quarters of games. That ranks twenty fourth in the league. And then they're second in point differential in the fourth quarter. And when you're betting full game size a team that just like scrapes and claws their way to some of these, you know, not even backdoor covers, like outright wins. I, I don't like betting Seattle or New York. I'm probably staying away from this line here. Yeah. I think having anything against the giants when you're in the fourth quarter is like, you just got to change the channel. You can't watch it. It's just, it's going <laughs> one way, Clark. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah. I mean, I've been anti-giants all year and I have been bullish on the Seahawks. I've, I've been, you know, make, they, they've been making me money and the giants have been losing me money because I've been betting against them. Um, and so, you know, team wise, I expected to be excited about this, this game for Seattle, but a couple things have happened in, in recent weeks that have shifted my opinion on the giants a little bit. And I think one of the things that you have to be able to do as, as you're betting on the NFL is, is adapting to new information as you see it. And the Giants legitimately were way overachieving early in this in early most of the year. Um, but in the last couple of weeks, they've actually improved. Uh, the way that they're playing is working. Wendell Robinson is giving them an option in the passing game. They're they're finding ways to basically use the the way the defense is being aggressive against it. You know, when you have a mobile quarterback who can, you know, create basically there's two runs on any any given run play. It just makes it that much harder for the defense to defend it. And so I think they're doing all the right things. They're really well coached. And then in this matchup specifically, we've seen Geno Smith struggle with the blitz because what he likes to do is sit in the pocket and read defenses and, and make the smart throws. And I think he overestimates his mobility sometimes and overestimates his escapability. And I think he can get into trouble. We saw it against Arizona. Seattle's offense was terrible in that game. He took so many sacks. Um, and Arizona doesn't have that good of a defense, neither do the Giants, but both teams get pressure via blitzing. And so I'm a little bit worried about Seattle, especially laying three points. I think this is going to be another one of those games that goes down to the wire for the Giants. And, you know, the way that they've been playing late, late in games, I think they're live to win it. But, uh, but I think, I think if you want to bet the Giants, I think the strategy is to watch the lines and try to see if one moves to three and a half, because I think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to stay there, but I think it's going to pop up. Buy that three and a half for the Giants, and I think that's the best way to play it. Good little live look there. Connor, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, what's interesting is I think that Seattle here is another great matchup on the ground with Kenneth Walker. You know, that dude is Austin mentioned. I mean, he's been absolutely crushing it. The Giants right now, uh, you know, according to their metrics, 30th in both explosive run rate allowed and overall uh, DVOA. Uh, and, you know, just have, I think that's maybe one of their weaknesses. But offensively, it's just... I'm like always in awe of how they're, you know, moving the ball. And like, I had to go, go back and watch. You see on like third downs, they're constantly 
scheming guys open, whether it's like running pick plays or making easy completion. They roll Daniel Jones out. Like, I mean, every other play he's on like a bootleg, you know, just like out in space, like just finding either using his legs or, you know, finding someone open one of their bum receivers. I mean, like literally Brian Dable is willing this team to have guys open, you know, who's rolling out the dustiest receiving core outside of Wandell Robinson, you know, in the league. Uh, I mean, Darius Slayton looks solid. It's it's just crazy week over week. That if you look on paper, if you look at, you know, PFF's lineup charts or whatever, you're looking at the Giants and you're like, this team sucks. And then they just don't suck. Their offensive metrics are actually decent. That's what's crazy. It's like, they're not even like bad by their offensive metrics. They're like fringe top 10 in most, you know, DVOA, EPA, stuff like that. So um, for me, I, I just can't pick a side here because I do think that Seattle has an edge in the running game. But I also think that the Giants like Clark, you know, have lost me a lot of money and I don't necessarily see a way that I'm like, Oh, they have a great edge here. They have like, you know, a very specific edge here. So like, for me, it's just to stay away. The giants are who everyone thought the lions were going to be this year. And, and, and who everyone talked about the lions as if they were last year when they were not that they are actually feisty, actually well-coached, actually winning games using, you know, analytics and like, you know, how many times is it third and long? And then you see Daniel Jones roll out and like, no way he gets it. He's a yard, a yard and a half short. But then they line up for fourth down and it's Daniel Jones, you know, falling over the line for a yard and a half and getting the first down. It's like all those things they're using every, they're squeezing every inch out of the game. And it's not like it's been a one-off. It's been every week. So I, I don't really feel like getting in the way of that truck anymore. <laughs> I, I think with Dayball specifically and like the philosophy he is instilling, and I was in New York for a week talking to him and talking to people like about how much the culture has changed. Cause I think when you compare it to Detroit, I think that's huge because Detroit was making more headlines for being a team capable of restoring a roar as some say, because of just like the comments that Dan Campbell was making publicly that were memeable and, and fun and aggressive. And I honestly like to be less jokey, like actually resonates with freaking players, right? Like he has a very player led coaching staff that players are like, yeah, I understand what he's saying. Let's go. But that was not often reflected in his actions and also not often reflected consistently in their approach on how they win games. Whereas we look at the Giants, like Dayball isn't saying as many memeable things or memeable quotes, but he is so, so committed to the process. I remember when you know, talking to him, it's like talking to people in that locker room. They're saying, we're not interested in winning. We just want people to show up to meetings on time. You know, we, we just want people to get to practice on time and practice and, and these different things. Like, trust the process. It's not it's not as important that the result of the game goes in our favor as much as how plagued this locker room and this team is of bereft of winning. And I think that has helped things, right? Like, they're consistent in how they coach the team. They're consistent in how they approach things. They're holding people accountable. People forget Daniel Jones to that god-awful red zone interception intended for Saquon Barkley. And, and Brian Dayball screaming at Jones on the sideline. He's not starting Kenny Galladay even before he got hurt because he's not the better receiver. Wasn't playing Kadarius Tony. Went for two against the Tennessee Titans. Like he's doing a lot of things with his actions that he actually feels is sustainable across the full season that players are buying into beyond just like a random quote about toughness or like chewing on people's body parts or whatever it may be. Painting grit on the wall in the coaching room. Yes. Yeah, it is. A, <laughs> it's a foundation to build on. So like you know the Giant fans have to be happy about where it's yes. trending because what they're doing now is obviously ahead of of any expectations, but they're not necessarily like in a win now. Even the Kadarius Tony trade was was great for them. It's a win-win. It's, yes. The Chiefs can take on that upside and that risk. But again, to get compensation back for a guy that you've made a decision that was just not a fit for your culture, which it definitely sounds like, right? We've seen all like the, you know, fake wheelchair memes, all the stuff for Tony today. It's like, yeah, like it seems like more and more so there was just a decision to have this guy not play because he doesn't fit what you're trying to do moving forward. And I do think to Austin's point, some of those things are, they matter, right? They're less analytically friendly. They do feel more narrative driven, but at the end of the, end of the day, these are humans, they are football players and you can, like, it, these things matter a little bit. So I do think that my, it matters. My, my take on it is that any win the Giants get this year, any postseason success the Giants get this year is like celebrated, right? Like, like I think uh, Nora Princiati, another analyst here at the Ringer, I think has a really good expression that I'm going to leverage probably for the rest of the time. But like celebrate the right parade, right? It's okay to have a parade. Just make sure it's the right one, right? The wrong parade is pretending that Daniel Jones is the future and you give him a 
you know, top of quarterback market deal or the wrong parade is signing Saquon Barkley to a Ezekiel Elliott level running back contract. That's the wrong parade. That's the wrong reaction to all the success. The right reaction is I wear my Giants jersey every Sunday and have season tickets. And this has been a lot more fun than I've had in previous years. I'm going to freaking enjoy it. And I think that's that's how Giants fans should be approaching this, not necessarily pulling away and saying, like, why aren't we top three in every power rankings? How come we're not the favorite to win the Super Bowl? We have the most wins in the you know, second most wins in the NFC. That's the wrong parade. So stay away from that. Celebrate the right parade and enjoy what the Giants have had so far this year. That's great. It's going to be a good look. I, I don't have anything on this one either, and I don't feel – Convicted strongly, I think is kind of, I think the consensus around the horn here as well, but I think it's going to be a great football game to watch because I, there are a lot of little schematic things here that I think are going to be quite interesting. And uh, yeah, uh, strangely the bell of the ball this week. So uh, is there anything Austin, that we didn't get to from a game real quick that you wanted to share? That's maybe a, your favorite look that uh, did not come up. Yeah, I, I am like big on the, the Patriots this week, which feels like square and square as the, as the week progresses. I also really like getting Tampa Bay before now line all the way out to two and a half. For the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I, I don't know if it gets to three, but I was on Tampa Bay while they were still a dog. And I think another game to look at too, I think one of the better games this week is Raiders at Saints. Two teams that I think are both plus 300 or worse to make the postseason with how they started the year, but real back against the wall type of energy where like this last loss, if you have it it's, if for the Saints at home or if the Raiders do lose in this spot, like this is it for the season. I think for the Las Vegas Raiders, is the they are the number two offense in EPA per drive this year, which is crazy to say. They only have two wins right behind the Kansas City Chiefs. They've been better than the Buffalo Bills on an EPA per drive perspective. Derek Carr, very quietly, a good quarterback this year. The offense, even though Devontae Adams is frustrated and pushing down photographers, has been good. Like, it's been good. Josh Jacobs, over 140 rushing yards in each of the last three games. Like, this offense has it. Hunter Renfro's back healthy. Darren Waller, I think, might be playing in this game. Now, defensively, it's one of the worst defenses in the NFL where, you know, you, I don't know the average fan can name the starting secondary for the Las Vegas Raiders. Nate Jones, Hobbs, the Nate Hobbs <laughs> injury was, was huge. Exactly. Nate Hobbs. Yeah, Nate, Nate Hobbs <laughs> so I, I think that the Las Vegas Raiders, because of how successful that offense has been, I like them in a dome this week with Darren Waller back, Hunter Renfro back healthy, as good as Josh Jacobs is playing. One and a half point favorites over the Saints right now in a must-win spot even more so than New Orleans Saints. New Orleans Saints have one more loss on the season than the Raiders do. This is an opportunity to climb back into the hunt. So I, I, I like um, Josh McDaniels and the Raiders to kind of show up and, and cover the one and a half this week. That's actually probably my favorite of the look this week as well. I didn't think, I don't like the Raiders specifically there. Well, I do, but I took them in the team total. I took the Raiders over 24 and a half. Um, even though we're kind of on the wrong side of key numbers there, I do think maybe in this matchup, the key number here is probably 27. So we're actually, when you think of it that way, we're maybe two and a half points under the key number. Because I do think, like, they settled, the EPA numbers are there, but they settled for field goals at, like, an insane rate early in the season. It was just like the Daniel Carlson show. Now we're finally seeing some of those converted into touchdowns we saw last week, what happens there against the Texans. So, yeah, I'm with Austin there on the Raiders. Uh, Connor, how about you? Anything else that we didn't get to that you like? No, echo that as well. Saints bottom five in like every defensive metric over the past four weeks. Just getting absolutely burned with their injuries. Looks like they're not going to have Lattimore in 10. Yeah. Yep. And then also just going to keep betting against the Bears until I go broke. Dallas minus nine and a half. Uh, team sucks. Just, just let's go Cowboys. Clark, how about you, buddy? Uh, I also I also like the Cowboys. I think, I think there's a lot of reasons to like the Cowboys this week. And I think the Robert Quinn trade was kind of the nail in the coffin. It was like... I, you know, I, I don't know how you respond to that as a Chicago Bears, especially on defense. You know, Robert Quinn wasn't putting up a ton of numbers, but he was occupying a lot of double teams. And so whereas other guys on that defense were playing better than they typically would because of the, you know, less attention, that's going to shift now. I think this whole defense is going to suffer as a result. We're going to see more like what we expected from the Bears. Um, I think that's probably my uh, my, my other favorite. I mean, Roquan's literally crying like during, you know, yeah. mid presser, like about, I mean, obviously I know it's like his buddy, but still like, you know, I mean, Jesus, you're yeah. taking away his, his friend and a key part of the defense. Yeah. It's real emotion. And, and like the Cowboys might actually be better without Ezekiel Elliott, because I think they're going to run the ball less and Tony Pollard is more explosive. And I think, you know, we, we see this time and again, when, when a quarterback comes back from a lengthy injury, it's always a dud. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about always, I don't know what the stats are, but it always feels like a dud. And I think Dak Prescott had his dud, but he looked he looked fine. He looked healthy. So I think we should expect 100% Dak in this matchup. No Zeke. I think I think it's going to be kind of full go for the Cowboys, one of those classic 20-point wins. I want a bunch of Roquan tackles. Every time he gets up, he's pointing to the hole and Jerry's ceiling there to his long-lost friend, Robert Quinn. Uh, I don't want too many fewer carries there for Dallas because we have to 
we have to go over Roquan in the tackle prop market because uh, it's just a beast. So good game script. We'll have to take a look at that one. But uh, that's it, Austin. He likes his tight ends. Yeah. Uh, tell everyone where they can find your stuff. Again, appreciate you coming on. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Check out the Ringer NFL show. I'm on there Tuesdays with Jason Goff, Power Ranker show. We talk about as much as we can on the NFL side. And the Ringer gambling show, I'm on with Raheem on Thursdays, talking Thursday night football. I also do a lot of college football betting, which has been awful for me this year, but I'm still <laughs> betting it, still finding ways to bet on Saturdays here on the West Coast. It's crazy. You wake up at 8 a.m. and the game start at 9 a.m. It's, uh, it's a sensational piece here, watching college football on Saturdays. And then Ringer.com, man. Ringer.com is where it's at. You can also follow me on Twitter, Austin Gale, A-U-S-T-I-N-G-A-Y-L-E underscore. Good stuff as always, gentlemen. We appreciate it very much. Again, 59 bucks for a betting sub at 4 for 4. It takes you through the end of February. Access to everything on the site. Uh, all of our picks are pushed through our subscriber-only Discord. We have lots of other tools and things on the site that I think that will make you, um, again, you're not just you know subscribing to Chase and Tail, our picks. Lots of other tools that can help make you a sharper, better fantasy player, dynasty leagues, whatever you want to get it down on, NBA stuff. Um, we're in all those streets as well. So check that out over on the site. So for... Austin and Clark and Connor and Ryan. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone.